This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Frame. Mother's Day is almost here. What are you getting her? Something that shows you care. Something that makes her feel loved. Something that won't stress you out. Something like the Skylight Frame. The Skylight Frame is the perfect gift. It's a touchscreen photo frame your whole family can upload photos to from wherever they are in the world. It's a way to share with her all the moments that matter. It sets up in seconds. You can even make sure that it's already loaded with photos when your mom opens her Mother's Day gift. And her Skylight Frame can hold thousands of the treasured photos you share. It's an easy, heartfelt way for mom to stay connected with those who matter most. It really is the perfect gift. Now, as a special Mother's Day offer for our listeners, Get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com slash easy. A rested child is a happy child. Sleep Tight Stories is a weekly podcast that brings comfort and joy to families worldwide with calming bedtime stories. The stories are relevant to children and spark wonder without overstimulation, so they can fall asleep and stay asleep. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown, Sleep Tight Stories. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast host Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Expect is a production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Heidi Murkoff, and I'm a mom on a mission, a mission to help you know what to expect every step of the way. If you're a new parent or you're about to become one, today's episode of the What to Expect podcast probably had you at the word sleep. Last year, we covered Newborn and Safe Sleep 101, so go back and check it out. But today, we're taking your biggest sleep concerns one step further by welcoming Chrissy Lawler of ThePeacefulSleeper.com. She's a licensed therapist and baby sleep specialist, and she's also a mom of four, ages six months to seven years, all of whom sleep through the night. That's not just because she's lucky, it's because 
She knows her sleep stuff. She's here today to explain her method of gentle sleep training and answer your biggest baby sleep questions. Welcome, Chrissy. Thanks so much for being here. I first want to point out that you're a therapist. Yes. How and why did you become a baby sleep specialist? I mean, I'm guessing there was a newborn involved and I'm guessing that newborn didn't do a lot of sleeping and it's like motherhood is the mother of invention, but you tell me. Yes, exactly. So I've been a therapist for 11 years. Back before I started having kids, it kind of all came together. I started noticing that all of my therapy clients that were the most stuck stuck in depression, anxiety, resenting their spouses, feeling disenchanted with motherhood. All of my clients that were the most stuck were the ones that weren't sleeping. I also struggled with insomnia. And so I hated as a therapist that I was like, I don't know, welcome to adulthood. Guess we don't sleep. Good luck. Let's talk about the real issues at hand. So I got trained to treat chronic insomnia. And two things came from that. One, I re formed my own insomnia. I also learned that sleep deprivation and postpartum depression and anxiety were intimately linked in the data. Then fast forward, I had my own baby. I wrestled with my own postpartum depression and anxiety, had my own shame spiral because I'm a therapist. I shouldn't be able to get depression because I have all the tools, which now I know is not true. Mm -hmm. But I I realized that, A, I was not enjoying motherhood and that broke my heart. I wanted to be a mom for my whole entire life. I also knew that I had all the skills. I had all the tools. I knew how to implement my tools, but because I wasn't sleeping, I couldn't get over the hump of this feeling, this gloom. And that's not how I wanted to show up in motherhood. So then I kind of dove into all of the resources and kind of piecemealed it all together. But my biggest beef that I had at the time was it felt like as a mom who was wrestling with depression and anxiety, as a mom who was a therapist that like knew all the ways that I could screw up my children, and I'm a perfectionist and a people pleaser, I felt like so much of the literature was telling me, you have to do it this way or else you're terrible, you're doing it wrong, your baby's going to suffer because you're not a good enough mom. And so I felt so inundated with all of this. I'm sure so much of it I was adding on to myself, but I felt so lost and overwhelmed. Like, I just need to know how to get this baby to sleep. And if she can sleep well, then I can sleep well. Then I can enjoy motherhood again. Then I can love my husband again. And so it just, like you said, you know, motherhood is the mother of invention, the mother of invention. Exactly. I love that line. And so it just kind of came together. Fast forward. I sleep trained my own babies and then I was helping friends. And then I just started realizing that as a therapist, I could have a voice in the space to those other moms that are exhausted and overwhelmed and disenchanted and feeling bad about themselves. I could help them unlock the magic of motherhood again. And if we can get good sleep, then we enjoy the experience. Oh, so you're a mom on a mission too, I just like am. me. Yeah, We're on a mission yes. together. So I just want to clarify one thing. If you have anxiety or depression, it's not 
always triggered by not sleeping. In fact, you could be sleeping all the time as a symptom of depression. But I totally feel you on this because there has to be a very close connection for many moms. Yes. And to jump on that and be super clear, I also, I take Zoloft. I love Zoloft. That was absolutely a part of my treatment plan to enjoy motherhood more was getting on the right medication, doing therapy, taking care of myself and arming myself with more skills and tools to be able to get sleep buttoned up and do self-care and all of that. So yes, sleep is, I think, a super, super critical component of that, but it's absolutely not the only component in mommy's well-being. Absolutely. So, you know, you had your last baby during the pandemic. And I'm just curious because so many different issues have come up during the pandemic, you know, children acting up and and things like that, completely understandably. But what about sleep problems? Have you noticed any increase or maybe decrease in sleep problems during the pandemic? Yeah, it's so interesting because it really just depends on the baby and the family. Some babies have gotten way better sleep because we're not carting our toddlers around to all of these activities and sacrificing good quality baby sleep. Sometimes it's the opposite where, you know, we're too tired for structure, we're too overwhelmed. So the kids kind of just run the house and we'll sleep when we sleep. Mm -hmm. I mean, I get it. Like we're all burned out. We're all kind of trying to survive. And so it feels like there have been a lot of benefits to being home so much as far as baby sleep, but also a lot of downsides. Yeah. I totally agree. Now, a lot of our listeners are pregnant currently, and already they're thinking ahead, or I guess worrying ahead about the months of sleep deprivation they've heard so much about. And, you know, we all know that baby sleep conversations in general can be super loaded. Yes. Right? Yeah. And there are lots of very strong opinions and feelings and, let's just say it, judgment. Yes. I want to say... At the get-go, this is not about letting a baby cry it out. It's not about whether or not you can spoil a baby. You know, in my opinion, you should try as hard as you can to spoil your baby, but it's just not possible because a baby in the first six months especially needs all those snuggles and all those cuddles and the filling of a baby's needs. But ultimately also, as you wisely point out, they also need a lot of sleep. And what we are going to talk about today is how to help them get that sleep, right? Yes, absolutely. So what are some newborn sleep basics that parents need to know before they even bring their babies home from the hospital? Yeah. So I think jumping back to your earlier point, I think collectively as moms, we need to stop scaring pregnant moms. There is so much fear and overwhelm already. So much fear of inadequacy going into it. Seasoned moms that are listening to this right now, please remember to be so gentle with very fragile pregnant women that might feel very intimidated. It's great to paint an accurate picture, but let's not paint a scary one. Mm -hmm. No gloom and doom. Yes, exactly. 
So I want to piggyback on two things that you said. One, we cannot spoil a newborn. It just isn't possible. They need all of those snuggles. And two, they need so much sleep. And so the my biggest point far and away for newborn moms is keep those awake windows nice and short. The newborn period is all about playing detective, tuning into your baby and figuring out their cues. But one of the mistakes that we often make is that we project our own thoughts and feelings and needs onto our baby, which can be really helpful. Like, oh, I would be feeling X, Y, Z right now. So maybe that's what my baby is feeling, which is 90% helpful. But a lot of times in the sleep realm, it backfires because for babies, sleep begets sleep. And like I said, I also treat adult insomnia. And so when we're treating adult insomnia, if we're getting all of this broken sleep, we need to sleep deprive ourselves to make us good and tired so we fall asleep quickly and we sleep all the way through the night. And then we slowly scale that back. So a lot of newborn parents make the mistake of thinking, my baby's not sleeping well, but if I can get them good and tired, then they'll sleep better. And that's not the way that we want to do it. There are kind of three different phases in this tired dynamic. So we want to aim for about 60 minutes of awake time when they're brand new. And some of that awake time for a new tiny baby counts as those drowsy feedings. So your newborn baby is going to get like 18 to 20 hours of sleep a day. And in the very beginning, some of those four hours of awake time are still going to look pretty dang drowsy and that's okay. So jumping back to this idea of three different phases of tiredness, what we want to capitalize on is phase one where they're just starting to get sleepy. We usually have a lull in play. They're staring off. Their eyelids and eyebrows might start to get a little pinky purpley. They're just in like this very calm, sleepy. Most of the time, we don't recognize that as the optimal window to put them down. If we miss that, then we get into the second component, which I call wired and tired. Oh, that's what I call it too. <laughs> Maybe I learned it from you years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Great minds think alike. Exactly. But they get wired and tired. You know that they're tired, but they're fussy and they're rubbing their eyes and tugging on their ears and doing all the tired signs, but they've gotten overtired. And so it's really hard for them to wind down. The thing that I like to think about here is we all, our brains are wired to power through our exhaustion. If you think about from an adaptive standpoint, we have those moments where it's the middle of the night, we're tired, and something needs us to be awake. So like eight months ago, I remember it was three o'clock in the morning. I was pregnant still. My seven-year-old comes to me. I'm passed out, dead asleep. And she says, mommy, I threw up. So what happens? In an instant, I am wide awake. I am changing sheets, starting laundry, getting her in the bath, getting her new jammies, singing her a song, getting her back down to bed. And then crisis averted, I come back downstairs, five minutes later, I'm passed out again, right? It's because my brain knows how to regulate, oh, you were sleeping, oh wait, you need to be awake, oh wait, now you can go back to sleep again. Our little babies' brains are capable of all of those fundamentals, but they haven't buttoned it up yet. 
And so if they start producing those sleepy chemicals and then we don't get them down, then they start to produce the powering through chemicals. And then they're this chemical mashup of like, I'm tired, but I'm awake, but I'm tired, but I'm awake. And then they're losing their mind. Mm-hmm. Then after that passes, then they're so exhausted that even the powering through awake chemicals make them knock out. So what happens is a lot of, especially newborn moms that haven't quite figured it out yet, think they miss phase one of the sleepy, then they're wrestling in phase two with the wired and tired, and then they finally get their baby to sleep in that phase three, I'm so exhausted, I knock out. And so they think, oh, wait, I should have just kept my baby up longer. So they finally knock out. But it's a thousand times easier to get them to sleep when we catch them at sleepy and we skip the wired and tired craziness. Oh, infinitely more. Yes. That is so smart. This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Calendar. Let's be real. Running a household can be exhausting and chaotic. And finding the perfect Mother's Day gift, it's not exactly a no-brainer. Until now. The Skylight Calendar is the best way to organize the family and give everyone, especially mom, some peace of mind to enjoy the things that matter most. The Skylight Calendar is a smart, touchscreen calendar that keeps track of and manages the chores, dinner planning, groceries, and to-dos for the whole family. The Skylight Calendar automatically syncs each family member's digital calendars and displays them all together on one color-coded touchscreen. It even doubles as a digital picture frame so you can finally share all those special moments that are just sitting on your phone. As a limited time offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Calendar when you go to skylightcal.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightcal.com slash easy. When your child fights sleep, it can feel like a battle you'll never win. Imagine a bedtime routine you all look forward to where you cuddle in and let the stress of the day melt away. Welcome to Sleep Tight Stories, a calming weekly podcast that brings bedtime stories, cuddles, and comfort to families worldwide. The stories are quirky, relatable, and spark wonder without overstimulation, so listeners can fall asleep and stay asleep. Each episode is narrated by me, Cheryl McLeod, a second-grade teacher, and written by my husband, Clark, an eternal second grader at heart. Tune in tonight and bond over a story before drifting off to sleep. Make bedtime the sweetest part of your day. Sleep Tight Stories. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, ready to discover a new educational and interactive podcast for kids? Join Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids, where episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We learned how to recycle at the beach. That was great fun. Callie, what do you say? It was. And that time when we did the science experiment and Billy made raisins dance. so cool, Billy. He did. <laughs> Not to mention when a certain Elliot took up swimming classes with Lisa. That was me! <laughs> Bet you can't 
can't catch me. I'm going to get you. All this fun and more in our Stories for Kids. Lingo Kids Stories for Kids is now available on StoryButton, the kid-friendly device for screenless podcast listening. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Clearly, there's no one size fits all for babies, right? So every baby is different. Like every parent is different. I'm sure you've noticed big differences in your four kids. Totally. And because of that, a lot of this is meant as much as advice as you can give, as I can give. Some of it you're going to have to like feel your way in the dark. Yes, I mean, literally. Totally. Yes. But what are some of the fundamentals about baby sleep right from the start? So you, you come home from the hospital, right? Where your baby was sleeping like a dream. <laughs> totally. And you're like high-fiving your partner. And then you get home, nothing. What do you say about the whole, you know, switching up days and nights and how to overcome that? Because typically when a baby gets home from the hospital, they're in this world where they're used to being in the dark. Mm -hmm. So nighttime is no biggie. Yes. Like you said, there is no one size fits all. All babies are different. I think as the sleep consultant mixed with a therapist and my personal experience that I talked to you about My aim overall is to empower moms to understand fundamental principles and, like you said, feel their way in the dark and feel confident that I can tune in and figure out what my baby needs. But there are some fundamental principles. So I would say fundamental principle number one that I think is true for all newborns is we want to keep those awake windows at about an hour. Sometimes you can push it to 90 minutes, but for a little tiny baby, I would not push it longer than that. And that includes the feeds. Yes, that includes the feeds. Sometimes if it's a super drowsy feed, I'll count that as like half awake time. And that's one of those nuances where like you're kind of feeling your way in the dark. Right. Orienting day and night. The best thing you can do there is not let daytime naps go longer than three hours. So that is one of the instances that you would wake a sleeping baby. The other big thing is keep your nighttime dark and dim. So like use a nightlight when you're feeding your baby at night. If you have a TV in your room, don't turn that on. Watch a show on your phone if you want to be entertained. But let's not have these big stimulating bright lights when you're feeding your baby in the middle of the night. And don't be trying to play with your baby or, you know, keep the chat to a minimum. Yes. Even if you're talking to your baby and I love you so much, you can whisper all of those things. You can be stroking their cheek. We do want to, in those first like four to six weeks when babies are super tired, that's when like you're going to be kind of a jerk. Like while your baby is feeding at night, you want to be like wiggling their hand, wiggling their toes, flicking their ears. Sometimes I'd like dip my hand in my water that was next to my bed and like sprinkle some water on their forehead. 
Because we want our newborns to get good, full feedings. Exactly. So we want to get good, full feedings at night. Um, We want to keep nighttime dark and dim and quiet. Daytime sleep can be light and bright and noisy. Let your baby be sleeping out in the living room in a safe sleep space, of course. Um, There's no need for blackout curtains or white noise machines at this age. Let them sleep with light, bright sounds and just orient. Daytime sleep feels different than nighttime sleep. That's such an important point because I just recently had a mom say, well, you know, we did the quiet thing and now we live in an old house with creaky floors. And the second we step on a floorboard, she wakes up. Yes. And in retrospect, she realizes that it's actually better to get them used to a little bit of noise and not try to create this sleep bubble Mm -hmm. around them. Yeah. I think as they get older and have more solidified naps and scheduling, that's when I do, like once I sleep train, I do like to have white noise machines, blackout curtains, all of that, because then you have something that you can plan around. You know, if you know that every day your baby's going to nap at nine, 12 and three, and you can kind of set up this consistency, then awesome. But newborns have no consistency, no predictability. So that's another point that I want to give to brand new moms. Some people will talk about how awesome it is to get your newborn on a schedule and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I say, throw all of that out the window. The only thing you need to look at the clock for is to feed, I say every two to four hours, Don't stress too much about three hours on the dot as long as baby's gaining weight well. Sometimes it's two, sometimes it's four. Let's just get a nice big window. Pooping, peeing. Exactly. So the only thing that I think newborn moms need to be looking at the clock for is to make sure they're not awake longer than 60 minutes or 60 to 90 and make sure we're feeding every two to four hours. But other than that, we don't need to be stressing about getting on a predictable clock-based schedule. It's just not possible. And when we have unrealistic expectations, it diminishes our joy in motherhood. Absolutely. And and plus, you know, babies need to, as you said, feed on demand. Yes. Mm-hmm. Even if the demand isn't there initially, it will be ultimately if you feed often enough. Yeah. So let's get to some of the specific questions that I hear about newborn sleep. There is no easier way to get a baby to sleep than on your chest or in your arms, skin to skin. Mm -hmm. And it feels amazing until you have to pee or your arm falls asleep. That happens all the time. Totally. But a lot of parents worry, understandably, Mm -hmm. about letting their babies get into that habit. I mean, I always say, you know, babies are creatures of comfort and they're creatures of habit. And you create a comforting habit, you know, ultimately it's going to be hard to break. Plus, Having them fall asleep on you, especially when you're sleepy, too, can be a safety risk. Yes. What do you say about this? Mm-hmm. I mean, especially early on when it's so tempting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I say, first and foremost, we can't spoil a newborn. And secondly, kind of my general principle, really in parenting as a whole, is do as much as your baby needs you to do, but not more than that. And so lots of newborn babies need to be swaddled up snug and rocked to sleep. Fine. If you can then put your baby down, great. Do that. 
you know, so we're still pretty much rocking our baby to sleep for every single sleep. Sometimes you can get the timing just right and swaddle snug and some babies can just drift off to sleep on their own. Again, that shouldn't be the expectation that newborn moms have of what doing it right looks like because that's not realistic. Um, the only thing that I try to avoid when possible is not relying on nursing to sleep. Because again, like if baby's only awake for 60 minutes, we don't want to get in this habit of baby doesn't know how to fall asleep unless they're eating. And now we're eating every single hour. And then we have a snacking habit and all of that. Again, it's a comforting habit. Totally. I always recommend a good snug swaddle preventing overtiredness. Like I can't say enough. And then if you need to rock your baby to sleep, do that. If the second you put your baby down, they wake up, then maybe rock them back to sleep or plan on some naps of the day. You know, I think a lot of new moms put way too much pressure on themselves to bounce back right away and be exercising and cleaning and cooking and whatever. Like sometimes it's really nice to just sit and hold your sleeping baby. So if they won't sleep, independently on their own in their own bassinet or whatever during the day, it's fine to say, all right, this nap is just going to have to happen in arms, or I'm going to get a wrap or a carrier or a backpack. Definitely at night, I recommend get your baby used to sleeping in their own space. So that's why, again, I say we do as much as our babies need us to do for them, but not more than that. If you can rock your baby to sleep and put them down and they'll keep sleeping, great. Then you don't need to hold your baby for every single nap, every single day. Do that sometimes because we love it. And your son should should not be that that's the only way your baby can fall asleep and stay asleep. So you should keep trying at least yes. to put the baby down Yes, and put them down to sleep. Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, if baby stirs in the transition, then you can like jostle their belly. You can give a pacifier. You can do an eyebrow stroke. There are all of these things that you can do to help ease the transition to be sleeping in their own space a little bit better. Awesome. Okay. Deep breath. And I almost hesitate to say the words sleep training Mm -hmm. because the words summon up so many negative connotations. Uh We at What to Expect don't judge, no Mm -hmm. shame in the game ever. Mm -hmm. Can you explain how your philosophy is is different Mm -hmm. from what many people typically think of when they hear the word sleep training Mm -hmm. and they're thinking crying, 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 crying. Yes. So one analogy that I use a lot is when we are teaching our babies to go down a slide. So I'm an extrovert. I like to get out of the house. So I usually end up at the park with my toddlers and now I have a six month old baby. And so I'll put her at the top of the slide and hold her the whole way down. Right. She has some core strength, but she's not coordinated enough to do the slide. But I'm, I'm showing her the motions. I'm showing her, this is how we do it. This is fun. Yep. Stay sitting. And I'm having fun and I'm holding her the whole way down. When she gets a little bit older and a little bit stronger, I'm going to transition to just holding her hand. And then in a couple more months, when she's a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, a little more coordinated, at some point, I'm going to put her at the top of the slide and I'm going to wait at the bottom and I'm going to say, come on, wee! And then she's going to be able to climb the ladder by herself and get to the top of the slide. And so it's a very collaborative process. I'm teaching you the ropes. I'm showing you how to do it. And then I'm backing off as you demonstrate that you are developmentally ready for this next step. But there is always some awkwardness in that transition where maybe I put her at the top of the slide and I know she can do it, 
but wait, it's different. I'm waiting at the bottom of the slide saying, come on. And she's looking at me like, "Uh uh-uh, right? And because every child is different, I had the first one who never did let go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. She she never managed to summon up that, that courage. Whereas my second one, you know, six months was probably doing it on his own. So every kid is different. You have to take their cues yes. on some of this, yes, right? Yeah, exactly. So if I come back to sleep training and using that analogy, I think the newborn phase, when we are rocking our babies to sleep, we are rocking them back to sleep. If they're taking short naps, we're showing them the ropes that like, hey, this is how we get you to sleep when you're nice and drowsy. You fold into sleep easily. We are making sure your naps are long enough. We are teaching you how to sleep well. That's what the entire four months is all about, is I'm showing my baby how to sleep well. Then, and I know you recommend sleep training at six months, and I recommend sleep training at four months, but we can kind of talk about those things. We can split the difference. Right. But I, the reason that I like to sleep train at four months is because they hit that four month regression where I believe they are craving a little bit more consistency, routine, and predictability. That's true. And they can learn how to go into that sleep on their own. There's still support. And I'm a big believer, like my main recommendation is modified cry it out, but you can do full cry it out. You can do no cry. What matters to me is that we are setting the foundation and handing over some of that ability to initiate sleep to our babies. And so there are two main components of sleep training. I say that in air quotes. Sleep training in my mind is about optimizing the daytime schedule to prevent overtiredness, which you've been doing for the last four months. So the actual sleep training part for me only entails in this first phase, learning how to fall asleep on your own. We are still rocking back to sleep when they wake up from short naps and we are still feeding at night. And I think that's where it can get confusing because different doctors will say different things. Different specialists will say different things. People recommend sleep training at different times to mean different things. And so I go earlier because I think they are capable of learning how to initiate sleep independently at four months, but we're not making them cry it out at night to drop night feedings. We're still letting them feed when they wake up. And then my philosophy is if we've got the daytime sleep buttoned up and they're not overtired and they know how to fall asleep independently, those night feedings will drop all the way on their own. And then we don't even have to do anything. So like I just sleep trained a baby this weekend and All we did was focus on learning how to fall asleep. Her baby used to be co-sleeping, eating every single hour. And she just texted me this morning that her baby did nine hours and 45 minutes without waking up. And we did not do any intervention in the middle of the night. It's just he learned how to fall asleep. And so he learned how to sleep cycle transition without help. That's an incredible success story. I was so excited. Yeah. So... Your premise is that you do pick a baby up when they're crying. Inevitably, always? So, yeah, pretty much. So I, the way that I do modified cry it out is a little bit different than like, and again, people use all these 
terms interchangeably, so it can kind of be muddled. But I like to teach babies how to fall asleep on their own. If we're doing modified cry it out, I make sure the timing is right, set the baby down, set our timer for 10 minutes. When, if they haven't fallen asleep, then I go in, I pick them up. I whisper in their ear, you're doing such a good job. Mommy loves you so much. You're figuring it out. I give the passy back. I do a cheek stroke, the eyebrow stroke, and just kind of say like, you know how this system works and you can figure out how to do it on your own. But I also cap it. So I think that's another area where sleep training can have a lot of heightened emotions is somebody on a mommy forum might say sleep training was awesome. Like my baby screamed for four hours the first night, but the next night it was only two. And then somebody else is like, you let your baby scream for four hours. So I do in like the official formula I do when we're first starting out for nighttime, we do 10 minutes and then 15 minutes and then 20, 20, 20. But I would say in the years that I've been doing this, 99% of babies that I've sleep trained will fall asleep in the first or second 20-minute timer. It is very rare that we get through that third 20-minute timer and then we just rock or feed to sleep and say, okay, that was good enough for the first night, but that was enough. We don't need to push too hard too fast. But the other thing that I like parents to pay attention to when their baby is fussing is the variability in their crying. It is a very different story. If we have a baby that escalates up to a level 10 and they are screaming at a 10 for 10 straight minutes, we're probably not going to do these lengthening timers. Like there's something happening. They're not learning how to self-soothe. But if you're paying attention to the variability, what we have a lot of times is, you know, you put baby down and she was at like a four and then a seven and a 10 and then back to a six and then an eight and then a three. And then, whoa, she was totally quiet for a minute. If we're seeing that variability, every time baby de-escalates on their own, they're putting a piece of the self-soothing puzzle into place. Uh-huh. And that's what we're springboarding off of. That's why we go in and we get them all the way back down to zero. We're calming them down. We're showing them, I'm here. I love you. You're doing great. And then we give them the opportunity again. And really that process is like three days. If personally, you just don't want to do cry it out, I totally understand that. But we can't make the argument that cry it out inherently damages attachment. I think the biggest argument in that camp is that when babies are crying, their cortisol levels are increased. But the data also tells us that two weeks after sleep training, babies who did cry it out don't have any difference in cortisol levels. And if we have a baby that knows how to initiate sleep on their own, we are drastically reducing the stress and cortisol and tears in the long term. On both sides of the crib. Yes. And I always say like, it is not our mission as parents to avoid our baby's discomfort. I don't know about you. I have babies that lose their minds when they're buckled in the car seat. I have babies that do not enjoy getting out of a cold bath or getting their diapers changed or boogers. Like I'm not going to not do those things because they're uncomfortable. I know this is the best way that I can provide for your needs to be met so that you can be happy and healthy and successful and thriving. Oh my God. I love that. This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Frame. 
Mother's Day is almost here. What are you getting her? Something that shows you care. Something that makes her feel loved. Something that won't stress you out. Something like the Skylight Frame. The Skylight Frame is the perfect gift. It's a touchscreen photo frame your whole family can upload photos to from wherever they are in the world. It's a way to share with her all the moments that matter. It sets up in seconds. You can even make sure that it's already loaded with photos when your mom opens her Mother's Day gift. And her Skylight Frame can hold thousands of the treasured photos you share. It's an easy, heartfelt way for mom to stay connected with those who matter most. It really is the perfect gift. Now, as a special Mother's Day offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com slash easy. Parents, ready to discover a new educational and interactive podcast for kids? Join Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids where episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We learned how to recycle at the beach. That was great fun. Callie, what do you say? It was. And that time when we did the science experiments and Billy made Raisins dance. That is so cool, Billy. He did. <laughs> Not to mention when a certain Elliot took up swimming classes with Lisa. That was me! <laughs> Bet you can't catch me. I'm going to catch you. All this fun and more in our Stories for Kids. Lingo Kids Stories for Kids is now available on Story Button, the kid-friendly device for screenless podcast listening. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Check the backseat. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the back seat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Not surprisingly, when we posted for sleep questions on what to expect Instagram, we got an earful. Uh-huh. One of the ones that we get a lot is how can I help a baby self-soothe? Now, you've definitely gone through some of the basics. Swaddling is super mm-hmm. comforting. And so is a passy for some babies and not for all. Unfortunately, I wish it were. I, I was know. zero for two with passy uh-huh. because someone else asked about passies, whether that's something you should restrict or mm-hmm. it's okay if it falls out in the middle of the night. What else do you have to say about self-soothing? Yeah. So I do love pacifiers. I think it's a great soothing tool for babies. If we have a fussy baby, uh, I like to swaddle snug. I like to get them on their side. Sometimes we rock babies kind of up and down where it's basically their back is parallel with the floor. And that's just setting off their moral reflex over and over again, making them feel like they're falling. So I like them to be chest to chest. Which is better for feeding too. Exactly. 
sometimes facing outwards, but if you have a very alert, attentive baby, that can also be very overstimulating when really we need to be taking away anything that's stimulating them. And when their face is kind of pressed into mom's shirt, it's, you know, there's nothing else to really look at. They'll just close their eyes. Nope. Or dad's shirt. Exactly. Or dad's shirt. Exactly. The side position, a swinging movement. I kind of like a little jiggle. So I think of like, if we think of a spin cycle on a washing machine, not one like the towels are lopsided and you think your house is going to break, but like a regular spin cycle on a washing machine, just this nice steady little jiggle, maybe like half an inch back and forth. I think babies really like that. I also do an eyebrow stroke. So we start at their hairline and kind of bring our hand down to the tip of our nose. We have a reflex and instinct that if something is coming close to our eyes, we close them. And so if we are doing this eyebrow stroke, we are encouraging our baby to close their eyes and it feels really good for their face to be touched gently. My husband has this great move where he like holds the passy in with his thumb and then covers their eyes with the rest of his hand and then just kind of like bobbles their head a little bit. And so he's not even doing a whole lot. He's just doing this little kind of ninja jiggle and it works every time. He's the best baby soother. Oh, that good to know. Is he work for hire? Like <laughs> He should be. So I just want to make sure everybody understands. So when you say on their side, that's when you're rocking them. Yes. Correct. Yes. So yes, not yes. when you put them down in, in the bassinet or because that would be unsafe. Correct. But I'm glad that you mentioned that because I have one of my other ninja moves is when you are laying a sleeping baby down, again, we often are rocking the baby and then we go to lay them down and we flip them onto their back to lower them down. And that kicks off the moral reflex. So what I do is depending on your sleep environment, sometimes you have to do another little ninja move where you like move your left hand up by their head and then their right hand on their bum. Or sometimes you can just lay them down, lower them all the way down on their side and only roll them to their back when they're down so that we don't kick off that moral reflex. We're just tilting them. But yes, babies should always be placed to sleep on their backs. But that's my other secret trick is lay them down sideways before you rotate them. You have so many ninja moves. I, uh, I like to create the ninja moves. My grandson would be totally impressed. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> but just one more time on things like swaddle and passy. Some babies do resist swaddle mm -hmm. or maybe they want their arms free. Maybe you've got a thumb sucker. So adjust as you go. Yes. Yeah, I definitely have a bias and I know that it's my personal bias too because all of my babies have been really happy in the swaddle. I wouldn't give up on the swaddle until you've done all of the other soothing tricks in combination because sometimes they just resist the swaddle. But a lot of times the babies that seem the most like they hate the swaddle are the babies that have really intense jerking movements. It's kind of like hiccups in their body. They just jolt and jerk. And so those are often the babies that need to be swaddled the most, but they just push against it because their body jerks and flails. So give it a fighting chance. Yeah, that's for sure. Yes. Okay. Now you touched on this earlier. And when I talk about having a routine from day one, and I feel that's super important, but I think a lot of people get confused between a routine and a schedule. And a routine is something babies can count on. It's something that makes them feel comforted consistently. This is what I can expect a routine. And 
babies love that stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Schedules are a completely different matter. Do you want to like weigh in there? Yeah. So my experience has also shifted personally as I've had four children, right? So like I have four kids, seven and under. And so my baby gets a very different bedtime and nap time routine than my first child did. You know, we were just laughing at night. You know, we had the baby in the sink and a bath while we were cleaning up dinner, not having the dishes in the sink. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Baby was taking a bath in the sink while we were just kind of like doing our evening stuff. And my husband joked, he's like, can you believe that when Maddie was a baby, like we had her in the bath and both of us are just leaning over the tub, just watching her together. And now with Nolan, it's like, all right, kid, get clean because we got stuff we're doing. That's why fourth kids are so resilient and independent. Right. Exactly. But I do think having something predictable and consistent, they can count on. And it can be a minute if that's all that you've got, or it can be 30 minutes if you want it to be that. But something that signals to the baby, hey, we're moving in this other direction. Like we were playing and now we're going to bed. And it's so helpful as the child grows because you get to the toddler years and they are going 100 miles per hour. You can't suddenly slam the brakes on and expect them to go to zero. So that's the whole point of the bedtime routine is to unwind gradually. And so if you start that habit early enough, then you're ahead of the game. So on that topic, because uh, we also have moms who have older babies on the site and Some of them are still not sleeping at 15 months, 18 months. And, you know, at this point, maybe you're regretting that you didn't do sleep training or maybe something disrupted, you know, sleep as usual. Whether or not you have ever hopped on the sleep train before, how do you deal with an older baby or toddler who's still having the same sleep issues? Yeah. So consistency is still key. Oh, yes. (laughs) And really, I always tell people, like, it's never too late to sleep train. The earlier, the better. After four months, the earlier, the better. But it's never too late to get good sleep habits. And like I said in the very beginning, I am a therapist and I treat adult sleep issues. So if you're not tackling sleep until you're 37 years old, that is fine. Let's start today and get better sleep. So I like to differentiate babies and toddlers because it's a totally different set of tools. Babies under about 18 months, it's going to be consistency, predictability, scheduling, having a good routine, helping them wind down, providing the right space at the right time, helping them learn to initiate sleep independently. Babies that you're sleep training older are just going to protest more than babies that you sleep trained younger. It's just the way that the world works. That's true of everything. Yes, totally. Babies over about 18 months is really when we start to see that toddler will coming into play. You mean toddler won't, right? Yes, that is exactly what I mean. So with toddlers, it's a lot more about getting their buy-in in some way, shape, or form. Because you cannot force a human being to sleep. And if they realize that gets a rise out of you, oh, now all of a sudden I have this power, et cetera, et cetera, then you have a whole different fight. So it's still about, you know, having a routine, having some consistency, but babies over 18 months, we've also got to figure out how to get them to buy in and want to sleep 
and let go of the power struggle if they're not sleeping. I have two favorite tools for that. One, figuring out a really compelling incentive. Toys are not compelling incentives for children. They just aren't because they have so much stuff in the moment. They don't actually care about that Elsa dress or whatever it is. So figuring out what's a better incentive, usually it's quality time because they're just offsetting the same thing. Instead of me and mom having all of this time or dad having all of this time to lay together at night while they're waiting for me to fall asleep and now I get two extra hours of mom, instead of that, we're going to have a really awesome date if I get some stickers on my sticker chart, right? So figuring out a better incentive and then the second most important component is letting go of the power struggle if they don't sleep, just providing the space and time. If they don't sleep, they don't sleep. We get them up, we get them out. And I put a box of books next to their crib so they can reach through the bars and grab some books. And you're kind of saying like, look, if you're not going to sleep, you at least need to be quiet and content in your room for this hour. And then you know what happens? Books aren't exciting enough long-term. So maybe they'll fight against you for like a week or so. But if they realize they're not really getting any extra benefit and they've already read these 20 books a thousand times, like, okay, fine. I am actually tired. I'm going to go back to sleep. And they haven't gotten a rise out of you, which I think is the critical part. You talk about the power struggle because you know who's usually going to win that. And it's so much the same with potty. Yes. Education. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, Chrissy, I could talk to you all day long, actually all night long, but fortunately we'll all be sleeping tonight because we have such good sleep habits. So thank you so much for being with us and tell our listeners where they can find more information. Yes. So find me on Instagram at the peaceful sleeper, the dot peaceful dot sleeper. And my website is the peaceful sleeper.com. I've got books. I've got guides. I've got courses. I've got everything you need for baby sleep up to adult sleep. And I've even got a peaceful mama course to help us feel empowered in motherhood. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thanks again. And sweet dreams. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Baby love, my baby love, I need you. Oh, how I need you. Thanks for listening. Remember, I'm always here for you. What to expect is always here for you. We're all in this together. For more on what you heard on today's episode, visit whattoexpect.com slash podcast. You can also check out what to expect when you're expecting, what to expect the first year, and the what to expect app. And we want to hear from you. Connect with us on our community message board or on our social media. You can find me at Heidi Murkoff and Emma at Emma Bing WTE. And of course, at what to expect. Baby Love is performed by Riley Beaterer. What to Expect is a production of iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. In my arms, why don't you stay? Need ya, need ya, baby love, ooh, ooh, baby love. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. 
Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast host Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela Yee is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. <laughs> Ooh. That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yemi's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Oh. Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B.